This week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about God's promises, God's faithfulness. Remember the rainbow in the sky at the end of the story of Noah. God's faithfulness is given to us, but it also shows us more about what God expects from us. Welcome to Table Talk with Mike and Angela. Welcome to Table Talk with Mike and Angela, a weekly conversation focused on helping you understand more about the Bible, faith, and what it means to live a faithful life. And now, here are your hosts, Pastors Mike Holly and Angela Martin. Well, Angela, it's been a wild ride in the South for us at the beginning of Lent. Yes, it has. We're just in the first week, week and we've had cold temperatures, ice, and snow. Uh, Texas was hit, you know, very hard. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know that many uh, folks who are listening have uh, been in prayer for those who have been affected by the winter storms. And we've all seen how people have acted with compassion and love for one another. We've seen people give generously to uh, the folks in Texas, um, as well as to the neighbor down the street. Mm -hmm. You know, Lent, of course, is a time of repenting of the ways in which we have allowed sin to dominate or even define us instead of God. It's a time for us to repent and to go in God's direction, to leave behind all those old uh, toxic ways in our lives, uh, to give them up and to allow God and his spirit to define us and God's kingdom to be our focus. And so it's inspiring to hear how God, how God is working through people and molding them back into a posture of grace and service. It's just the kind of thing we need to hear Yes. at Lent. <laughs> uh, you know, last week on Ash Wednesday, we were reminded that we are, we're mortal. Uh, we do not have the ability to save ourselves. Uh, there is, um, you know, in us sin and uh, the things that we need to give up and let go of that are not good for us. They're not holy, and they are not going to uh, really lead us into life. That is where Lent begins with us. And as we are now a week into it, we know that there is more to the story than just that. Walter Brueggemann's devotional book, A Way Other Than Our Own, helps us in these first days of Lent to see that even though we're in rough shape from our sin and our mortality— that God is faithful to his promises, that God is one who acts out of love and compassion to us all. Yeah, and in the second week of Lent, uh, he begins by reminding us of God's covenant faithfulness. And he uses uh, the passage from Genesis in the ninth chapter, where we find God setting the rainbow in the sky as a sign of his covenant with every living creature. And you might remember, you know, God says that he will never flood the earth again in an effort to destroy all flesh. But, uh, but Brueggemann reminds us that this covenant is not about the water. It's about God and God's relationship with us. Brueggemann says it is about the world being flooded with fidelity, which is another word for faithfulness, about the world being flooded with fidelity that is the divine antidote to the craziness all around us. It is a witness to God's second effort, God's new sanity 
after a moment of divine craziness. It is an invitation to respond with sanity to our present special craziness, which I thought was a fun way to put our current situation. (laughs) Special craziness. Yes. Well, this past year, 2020 has been uh, crazy, and I know we were all ready for 2021 to be less than crazy. Yes. But I, I know that Brueggemann is talking about more than what we're facing right now, obviously, because he wrote this book several years ago. Yes. But uh, also because, you know, in a sense, you know, sin and the ways in which this world operates is crazy. <laughs> Isn't it Paul who talks about how, you know, God's ways are foolishness <laughs> to everybody else? Right. And in a sense, when we gain perspective, we can see that some of the things that we work so hard for and some of the things that we yearn so badly for are, are crazy, I guess is the way <laughs> that he would, he would put it. You know, what stands out from really this horrific event in Scripture where all living things uh, except for Noah and his family and uh, the animals two by two as they come onto the ark um, is that— you know, God takes another shot that God, you know, after the horror of the event begins repopulating the earth, that there is a chance for a, a fresh and clean start. And and then again, that God promises that he is uh, kept, you know, to this point, at least, that he won't do this again. You know, Brueggemann really points out how once the world was flooded with water, And after that, it's God's covenant faithfulness that you were telling us about that becomes the dominant story there. Mm -hmm. That, In a sense, God floods the world with his faithfulness. Um, The world is flooded with God's covenant and his great love. And, you know, he takes this sort of turn, as, as theologians often do, of, you know, looking at God's covenant faithfulness, looking at the powerful things that God is doing and has done in our world. And he essentially holds a mirror up to us. You know, the, the ones that we talked about on Ash Wednesday who are mortal and that, you know, we're sinful and, and we're sort of in rough shape. And he holds that mirror up to us and says, you know, this is who we should reflect, you know, the more right. that we reflect ourselves and our fallenness, the we're going to go on those ways that are toxic to us. But, you know, if we can look at God's faithfulness as a model, as a mirror for us, that is essentially what we should be doing and focusing on. He also says that we should see the rainbow as a reminder, not only that God isn't going to do that again, but also a reminder that we need to act like God, that there are things in terms of his faithfulness that we need to mirror and an act in our world. And I think that connects with our understanding of of Jesus, that he is the bridge, in a sense, between God and humanity. He is God with us, God among us. Um, He is the spirit in flesh, the God, the son in flesh. But at the same time, he serves as a, a role model, as an example, that he is the witness of what humanity can be. He demonstrates and fulfills God's faithfulness and serves as this model as how we can live faithfully to God, how we can live faithfully to others. And so, you know, in a sense, I see the rainbow connecting to Jesus as these symbols or or as this (laughs) incarnation of God that serves to us Mm -hmm. as a reminder that 
we have got to embody this faithfulness. We can't just be recipients. We've got to actually be co-actors with God in this story. Right. Well, Brueggemann asked us to consider, he kind of gives us some examples uh, to think about, you know, if, if God is mirroring this faithfulness, then what does our reflection look like when we look in the mirror, right? Um, He says, consider uh, that we are flooded with the gifts of neighborliness, which we are. We just don't access them all the time. (laughs) But if God floods us with the gifts of neighborliness, our faithful response should be that we recognize that the economy of the rich devouring the poor is now inappropriate. Um, if we realize or we are aware that God floods us with peaceable possibility, uh, then our faithful response should be that we recognize that the old lust for war and violence is not in sync with what God wants. Um, If we realize that God floods us with fruitfulness, you know, that he gives us talents and strengths and and so many gifts at our disposal for the good of of the world, uh, then our faithful response should be that we recognize that the technological destruction that seeks to sustain our unsustainable standard of living is now passe or no longer fashionable. It's uncool. <laughs> Angela, paraphrasing <Right>. theological <laughs> treatises. Brueggemann, yes. Mm. <laughs> well, so, you know, we're called to, to think about what God's kingdom looks like and how, you know, in our frailty, in, in, our, in our imperfectness, how can we then begin uh, taking on aspects of that which God floods the world with? You know, the world is no longer flooded with water. It is flooded with covenant faithfulness and grace. How does that then become infused into who we are? And how does that then flow out from who we are and what we do? You know, we're called to flood the world as well, not with our own (laughs) selfishness or our own opinions about things, but with the kind of faithfulness and care that God demonstrates for us. We're called to care for the earth that God has given to us, and we're called to love and care for others in compassionate and radical ways. You know, for many of us, doing this almost seems impossible. And, you know, the first step is to remember that it's not coming solely from inside of us, that it is poured out into us Mm -hmm. by God. It is not by our own Abilities. It is through God that we're able to do this. I think that's really important. And I think the other thing is that, you know, it forces us to sort of get off the bench and get into the game. And it requires us to get out of our comfort zones because it is easy with spirituality and mm-hmm. uh, the modern world to sort of allow, you know, the people that we pay to do ministry to do ministry or the ability to sort of be in a large church where a small group of people do most of the work and for us to get on the sidelines and sort of become spectators instead of uh, participants in the kingdom of God. And so there's this idea that God is flooding the world with all this and that we should participate and, and that we should sort of allow that to work in and through us. And of course, that 
is not always comfortable. Uh, it pulls us from our comfort zones and puts a, a, us into the work of being faithful to God in each and every aspect of our lives. And again, we connect this with Jesus. You know, Jesus models the kind of selflessness that is required for disciples to engage in. Um, you know, we cannot stay in our comfort zones. We've, we've got to get out and about uh, and be be fruitful and active. You use the word fruitful uh, that Brueggemann has, has reminded us about. The, the idea of being fruitful means that there is something positive, something beneficial, something good coming out of us, uh, out of our hearts, out of our work. And this is really important. We've got to get out of our comfort zone uh, in order to see that kind of fruitfulness really take shape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're right. It, it is difficult to do sometimes. And yes, Jesus did model that kind of selflessness uh, over and over again in Scripture. We see where he reached beyond his people, you know, beyond uh, what he thought was his calling of ministry, beyond his tradition, you know, he extended himself to the other in most circumstances. <laughs> but there are times uh, when even Jesus struggled with this. Um, if you go look at the 15th chapter of Matthew, you'll find the story of Jesus and the Canaanite woman or the Syrophoenician woman, as some uh, translations call her. Uh, she comes to Jesus begging him to heal her daughter. And Jesus' first response is none at all. I mean, he ignores her. Uh, And she persists until she bugs the disciples enough that they begin asking Jesus, hey, you got to do something about this. You know, she's driving us crazy. Paraphrasing again. (laughs) Um, And Jesus hears her and he says to her, and this was not very nice of Jesus. He insults her and, in essence, calls her a dog. He says to her, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Now, what he meant by children's bread was, you know, God's covenant was with the children of Israel. She was not under that covenant. Um, but as any good mother would, she doesn't let that stop her. And she replies, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And whether it was her persistence or her quick wit in that moment, Jesus changes his mind. And in that experience, she practically explains to Jesus his larger vocation, his larger ministry that he had not yet embraced. And to his credit, Jesus is willing to be instructed by her. And so in that moment, Jesus learns that full faithfulness means reaching beyond one's comfort zone to care for the other. And so I think it begs the question for us, you know, when we when we draw a line in the sand, who is on the other side? You know, who is the other for us? Um, who calls us out of our comfort zone? You know, when we when we think about serving the other, all of us to some extent hold 
that line against the other. We all have certain biases that uh, become ingrained with us um, just by nature or nurture, as they say. All of us, to some extent, know that our faith calls us out beyond that. We know it, but it's just hard to do it. It is. It's so easy to fall into this mindset of being, you know, in a way sort of feeling like we know better than God or that, you know, we know that God really wants us to draw this line right here, even though Mm -hmm. Jesus steps over it time and time and time and time again. You know, it's it's almost like, you know, God has this larger, more expansive mission. There's this work that he's about and that we, in a sense, um, you know, will tell God, OK, I understand you're doing that, but I'll do this, but I won't do that. Right. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of that meatloaf song. I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that or something like that. Um uh-huh. So, you know, you know, my call to ministry is kind of similar. I, I remember this, this feeling of wanting to be um, involved in ministry. I felt God calling me into it. I felt this, you know, uh, heart-tugging, nudging going in that direction. And my response was to say, yes, but I'm not going to become a preacher. Right? <laughs> I will become a pastoral counselor or I will become a youth director. And slowly and slowly and slowly, God began, uh, you know, making the way for me to be uh, ordained in the United Methodist Church. I somehow got past the Board of Ordained Ministry. <laughs> um, so, you know, in a sense, I even tried to do that, to draw a line in the sand and say, I'll do this, God, but I won't do that. Mm-hmm. And of course, here I am, <laughs> well beyond that line that I drew <laughs> in the sand. You know, I almost get the sense that when we draw a line in the sand, it's often at low tide at the beach, and God raises the water, and it resets <laughs> itself. <laughs> God is consistently calling people out of their comfort zones, beyond the lines that we draw in the sand. God's kingdom is not limited. It is consistently expansive. Uh, Just when we think that the kingdom of God is limited to uh, the people of Israel, that's when Paul and others break free and move through the Mediterranean and begin seeing God at work in the Gentiles and the Gentiles, uh, Gentile nations. You know, just when we think it's going to be this, it becomes that. Just when it seems that surely God didn't mean to include that person, we discover that, yes, God did mean that person. And it just goes to remind you that, you know, we don't get to call the balls and strikes. God gets to do that. You know, we don't get to push God further than he wants to go. And we also don't hold God back from where he wants to go. There's another thing that is brought up in all of this in terms of our comfort zone, and, and that is about our comfort, literally, that, you know, many of us in church grew up with the things we're comfortable with, the form of worship we're comfortable mm-hmm. comfortable with, the structure of the church we're comfortable with. And, you know, part of our comfort zone is feeling at home and at peace. But we also cannot cling to the old and comfortable in, sti- in spite of the needs of the kingdom to continue expanding and going into new places. You know, here at, at our church where, where we serve, 
we were uh, in the process of adding a new worship service many, many years ago. And part of adding that service was receiving funds uh, from the United Methodist Church, the um, uh, annual conference here, uh, for some equipment and other things. But we put in much more than that into the renovation of our chapel. And I remember a very difficult moment where people were, you know, dealing with this sort of clinging to uh, the comfort and the things that were the way they were in our chapel, uh, including the altar rail. And there was a need to remove pieces of the altar rail. And it was hard for people to look beyond that. They did. They were faithful. They were prayerful. Uh, and they were able to see the larger vision and where things were going. But that altar rail meant something special to them. How many times did they kneel at the altar rail with their children you know, with their families to receive communion. How many people, you know, their their bridesmaids or groomsmen stood behind that altar rail in order to, you know, um, be a part of a special joining together of a husband and wife? This meant something. And yet we cannot cling to everything in the past um, just because it men, meant something to us at one time. We've also got to understand that the kingdom of God keeps going and expanding and Sometimes in order to make a new service, you have to pull down a couple of altar rails. Um, but that doesn't mean that God's spirit isn't there and not still moving in and through that place. It's okay to treasure things that have meant something to us. It is okay. You know, I still to this day have things in my office, on my bookshelf that are treasures that mean something to me from churches I have served in college that I still keep around. It's okay to treasure those things and to value them. But at the same time, we cannot let us treasure those things, those memories or those items more than God and his mission. When God starts moving in a new direction, faithfulness looks more like jumping in to make sure that everything's aligned and supported that, you know, God has us in his corner, that God has us as partners Faithfulness does not look like fighting against the movement of God and his spirit and pushing back mm -hmm. on what is happening. That's a tough trap that we often fall into, almost like we are God's defenders. And God doesn't need right. defenders. Right. <laughs> he needs disciples. Well, yes. <laughs> well, you know, Augustine said that uh, God is always trying to give good things to us, but we have our hands too full to receive them. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that goes along with what you're saying. Are we holding on to the wrong things, right? Um, with what might God bless us if we are willing to relinquish those treasures? Uh, and and those treasures can even be things that are unhealthy for us, right? Mm -hmm. Our bad habits, um, old attitudes that are just comfortable for us, worldly ways, anxiety, fear, greed, all those kinds of things. Are these the things that keep us from extending God's blessing to the other? Uh, and often, you know, to help us in seeking the answers to these questions, we turn to the church for uh, understanding and discernment. But Brueggemann says that too often the church in our society is thought to be a place of unambiguous answers and sure certitudes where we come settled and cocksure and the spirit has no chance to change anything. Uh, it is, he says, however, uh, 
uh, more often than not, a place of bewilderment and confusion and unsettlement that has the power to place us at the threshold of something new. Uh, And I love that vision of the church. I certainly think that a church um, is much healthier when you have this environment of being able to question and and to discern things. I read a quote from Rachel Held Evans this morning. She was talking about Scripture, but she said, you know, when we study Scripture, we're not invited into this academic fraternity. We're invited to a wrestling match. You know, and I think that's the way church is for us, you know, in our small groups. Uh, we wrestle with things that we hopefully we say things deep enough in our sermons, you know, that at least people questioning a little bit and asking things of themselves. Uh, but Brueggemann puts forth this vision of the church as the healthier vision because it allows God to work uh, the newness of nurture and vocation and demand and promise and healing. We don't often come seeking answers if we think we already know them. And so I think to come to church, still being open to what the answer might be is a healthier way of looking at church. And I think that we see so many good models of what this might look like, where, you know, people are not, in a sense, just throwing everything they believe out the window, but they're engaging in conversation because conversation is not dangerous, right? Right. Right. You know, pulling uh, away at the foundations of someone's uh, faith or or belief can be dangerous, but having a conversation is not dangerous because we engage in this all the time, right? We disagree about Mm -hmm. uh, various things um, in our, in our society and having a conversation about what this looks like can actually be instructive and and helpful. Um, I know that one of the uh, powerful small group experiences back in the 1990s and early 2000s for a lot of United Methodists was Disciple Bible Study. Mm-hmm. And it was it was meant to be not just a time to read the entire Bible and learn everything there is to know, even though you read <laughs> quite a bit of yes. Scripture if you did all the homework. Mm-hmm. It was a time to take the words of Scripture along with deep, you know, scholarly work from presenters that were knowledgeable, and by the way, sometimes boring. Um, <laughs> and, but then you have these mm-hmm. these wonderful conversations with the people in your small group because you've made covenants, you've made promises mm-hmm. to listen to each other and to wrestle with Scripture together. And, you know, what you find is through the words of Scripture before you in this sort of uh, tradition and knowledge uh, factor over here with the presenters and scholars, and then with the community of believers talking and questioning and and seeing things from different perspectives, you get this sort of amazing moment where people are filled with the Spirit and they see things and experience things and feel love and feel you know appreciated and feel worthwhile. It's just an amazing moment of the Scripture becoming real to you instead of something to just you know, read and regurgitate. Right. It's something yeah. actually that becomes alive in you and in your heart. And I have had the same experience in a Bible study I'm a part of on Friday mornings. Uh, most of the time we meet, you know, at 630 in the morning. I've mentioned this before and and uh, we're doing it now digitally, vir- virtually, because <laughs> of the pandemic. We can't meet in person. And it's, it's really cool that we found um, not only 
a, a way of discussing openly over the course of a decade of meeting, but also we have chosen studies that don't tell us what to think. You know, it's read this scripture and then it asks some questions and it leads you into conversation instead of coming to some predetermined mm-hmm. uh, point to believe in. And, you know, I love the the idea that, um, you know, we're, we're led to wrestle with scripture and to take what God uh, gives to us and make it our own, uh, make it part of us, uh, ingest it and live it, that this is the truth of God and we've got to actually become it, not just to know it. Um, being open to God and exploring how God's covenant faithfulness is constant and ever expanding helps us to see more clearly, to love more dearly, and to follow more nearly, as Brueggemann would say. We see with new eyes and we have our hearts expanded when we grow with God instead of pushing back against his work in us. And again, it just reminds me of how God doesn't need defenders. God needs disciples. And disciples are students, Mm -hmm. students who learn the way of their master. And that's all about what we're talking about, wrestling, learning, growing, and becoming more like the one we follow. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think that takes a certain amount of humility to be willing to mm-hmm. to wrestle with that and to not even pretend that we know all the answers. Uh, Brueggemann ends this week's devotions by reminding us that once we meet Jesus, we must deny ourselves, which I think would be certainly a part of that. Uh, denying self is not about saying no to something that we really want. Uh, It is not about uh, making us feel bad or uncomfortable. It's not a way of looking at ourselves that makes us feel bad about ourselves, like, you know, or guilty or or a failure or as unworthy. Brueggemann says that to deny self means to recognize that I cannot be a self-starter, I cannot be self-sufficient, I cannot be self-made or self-securing. And that to try to do so will only lead us down the wrong path. I think we talked some about that last week, you know, how anxiety and fear and all of those kinds of emotions can kind of snowball on us um, and compel us to want to just take control of things ourselves. And then that's when we get into trouble. You know, we forget to let go and let God, as that saying goes. Uh, The alternative to that, to self-focus, is to move one's attention away from self, to know that um, our life is safely and well held by God. And uh, something that I've started doing, um, because I don't know the pandemic or what, but I have started, I think I've always been a little bit anxious, but uh, it's just... During the pandemic, it's gotten more intense or something. I don't know. So I started doing this little exercise. When I get anxious about myself or about someone else, you know, it might be one of my kids, I literally visualize myself or whoever I'm worried about sitting in God's hand. Mm. And I just close my eyes and I just, you know, rest with that vision for you know, a moment or so. And it reminds me that no matter what is going on, no matter what happens, 
God is. God is holding us, you know, as as we just said, well held by God. And um, that's the the best, right? And I think those were Wesley's last words. Best of all, God is with us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this God who loves us more than we love ourselves, uh, we can relish in the generosity of his love and his grace, and we can find freedom in that, and we can be free from that uh, anxiety and uh, that need and the hunger that comes uh, when we don't have that um, strong sense of self. Um, so I don't know. That That's a little exercise maybe you can use yourself, you know, when you're feeling a little anxious. Uh, but it, it helps me to remember that, that God's got us. That, that's certainly more of a visual than what I've all, often heard from people is that when you're feeling anxious, you need to really kind of feel present and grounded in the moment mm-hmm. and sort of feel like your feet are firmly on the ground and do some breathing exercises. And yeah. those are all good as well. But yes. this sort of understanding as people of faith that, you know, God is, is never far away from us, that mm-hmm. God is with us through it. And, you know, he's got us in the palm of his hand. Mm-hmm. That's a... Yes. <laughs> It can be a powerful way to think about it. And, you know, that's not self-focus. You know, Brueggemann talks about the the worry that the more that we become focused on ourselves, you know, we, we sort of unravel spiritually that we become, you know, so focused on ourselves that we're of little use to God. Um, we find ourselves yearning and, and, and straining for the wrong things. But to, you know, have God in our lives and to Imagine him being on our side and with us and to think about other people, you know, Mm -hmm. that they're held in the hands of God as well. This other's focus, this God focus that, you know, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not self-focus. That's God focus, you know, that I'm God's partner. And I think it's really important for us to to think about that. You know, self-focus, we're talking about comfort zones earlier, self-focus, you know, gravitates us back to comfort than it does, yes. you know, yeah. out of our comfort zone. And right. so the more self-focused, the more selfish we are, uh, we are sort of bid to stay in place. Um, and, and we do that because it's comforting to us. Mm. Focusing on others, being others-focused, bids us to go out and bring comfort to others. You know, I, I just always think about this because when I feel you know, that I'm guilty of self-focus. I try to think about, well, what if so-and-so had done it? You know, you know, think about Abram, you know, God says to him, go to a land I will show you and I will make your family as numerous as the stars in the sky. And uh, no, I kind of like where I live now, (laughs) you know, or Peter, come and follow me and I will make you fish for people. Well, you know, Jesus, I'm not a big fan of walking all over the place. So I'm just going to stay here <laughs> with my boat. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, yeah. when, when we're self-focused, we often say no to the opportunities that God puts in our lives to be part of something bigger and to be others focused and see, you know, the lives of others blessed and shaped by God, sometimes even through us, uh, but especially uh, through his work of grace and love. You know, the Bible is full of examples of ordinary people who are pulled into amazing stories and grace-filled experiences because they become others-focused. They become 
you know, focused on doing what God wants them to do. And it, it's not just because they all of a sudden felt like they needed to care. It's because they got, you know, pulled into this by God, that they were, um, they met God face to face or their, the God's love, you know, stirred deep within them and it spurred them into his way and his way leads us to being focused on others. God's faithfulness becomes through his grace, our faithfulness to God and to others. Yeah. Well, thankfully God is at the center of our lives or, or should be. We work toward that. Uh, and so we pray during this Lenten season that we can let go of all that is not life, all that is not God, that we may live in that freedom granted through the cross. Self-focus does not lead to anything of worth, really. Denying ourselves means denying the worst in store for us. So taking up the cross and going in the way of Jesus brings more joy and contentment and peace than we ever could imagine. So this journey of Lent, as we continue with the study of um, Walter Brueggemann, a way other than our own, uh, is really pushing us uh, to go down this way that we wouldn't choose on our own, go down this way that is the opposite of self-focus, that's opposite of, you know, staying in our comfort zones. It is a, a way uh, that pulls us out of those things and into God's uh, greater expansive kingdom. And so this is a journey of stretching, um, uh, of, of growing, uh, of not being stagnant in our faith, but becoming more alive. And, and every person whose life, uh, you know, intercedes or uh, interacts with God, um, it demonstrates that, you know, it's, it's a chaotic, um, sometimes painful, um, process of having our lives turned upside down and having our world expanded. And it can be uh, disruptive. Let's just say it that way. Yeah. That, you know, interacting with God and his kingdom can be disrupting. Mm -hmm. And yet, as you mentioned, you know, with God at the core of our lives, we will find that through this disruption on the other side is not even more chaos. It's peace. It's mm -hmm. kingdom. It's life eternal. Yes. And so, you know, I, I really do think that the more we lean into this, even if we're scared and anxious about the disruption and the, as Brueggemann would say, craziness yes. <laughs> that, that is around us, there's something more and there's something better on the other side. And, uh, you know, this is reminding me every time we talk about this, the more that we lean, the more that we step out in the faith, the more promise and hope there is. Mm -hmm. We started with the conversation of the rainbow, God's covenant faithfulness. And I think that that's the image that helps me, you know. Uh, I wish we would see one more often mm -hmm. <laughs> around here. Yeah. You know, more rainbows to remind <laughs> us that God is faithful. And the more that we step out into um, his grace and his love in his world, the more peace, the more life, the more love. Well, thank you for being with us uh, again this week with uh, myself and Angela. We hope you'll join us next week. We're going to continue uh, as we go through this season of Lent with Walter Brueggemann and his wonderful devotional study. We'll see you next week.